the real dangerous people, like the folks that are uh, are unstoppable and can get anything done, are the folks that accept both sides of themselves. Befriending the side of you that you'd rather it not be there. It's a great discipline. Man, because I, mo- most people don't accept it and they live in shame about it. It just steals their energy and it makes them a performer and like makes them live a persona that's very fragile. And you, you know, so when someone brings them feedback, they can't hear it. They won't hear it. They'll justify it and they lose credibility with their team. We have got a treat for you boys and girls because we have Adrian Kohler on today's podcast and he's got a ton of great stories. Adrian, before we get started, I like to throw my guests an off the wall question or comment before we get started, just to keep you on your toes. You ready for this? I'm ready, man. All right. So I know you're an executive coach. You work with leaders from entrepreneurs all the way up to fortune 500 execs. Yep. Also happen to know, thanks to my crack leader um, uh, research team, that you are also a coach for prison inmates. Yep. So I want to understand, tell me a little bit about the uh, differences between coach and the two, which may be obvious, but I also want to know, tell me about some similarities that we wouldn't have thought of that would be pretty unique. Sure. Well, uh, first off, thanks for having me on. Uh, always honored to have a great conversation. So uh, let's see. There are much more similarities than there are differences. That's for sure. Um why is that? I mean, most of the guys that we worked with in prison, they are, most of them are murderers. Um, uh, almost all of them. Oh, we've worked with some juveniles that hadn't killed anybody, but everybody we worked with in the adult uh, population were all murderers. Most of them were involved in gang life. Most of them uh, essentially, you know, high-end entrepreneurs. You know, they ran, you know, all dark, the dark economy, but very brilliant. Uh, all uh you know manage with power and influence and um with their words and then with the willingness to take severe action so i mean that's a there's not a big difference um between what they had to do on the street to make it work i mean they're tougher than most i mean uh they became tougher than most of my entrepreneurs did in the sense that you know they had some rigidity that they had to keep going um but and most most uh, most uh, man most of the entrepreneurs as well they um they have a tough you know uh exterior but now there's such a pressure i think an expectation which i think it's good to be real to be human as a leader that most of my clients are in that flux on how they get more honest uh with themselves and with their teams and so those guys man they you got to keep you got to keep your uh, weaknesses really close to your vest. And there's a, there's a good move in culture where people are actually more real, like conversations we're having. So. I I like what what you said. First of all, I've always thought that folks in, in prison or on the streets or anything that you're trying to make money, those are some of the best entrepreneurs because they've got to figure it out how to make money and deliver some sort of service and customer service and all that. And, well, yeah. then, and the compl- and the complexity of the illegality. I mean, there's just so many more things to consider if you're going to like pull it off without anybody finding out. It's 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 high end if efficiency and effectiveness, really. What's funny about what you just said is there's probably a lot of legitimate businesses that have to worry about <laughs> being found oh, out and doing their yes, yes. <laughs> oh, that's for funny. sure. Well, as you can tell, my guest today is Adrian Kohler. He is now an executive coach with Take New Ground. He's also mm-hmm. one of the co-hosts of the podcast Naked Leadership. 
and he self-described no bullshit coach for restless and relentless founders, which I want to dive into for sure. Sure. He's got a long career in coaching and training, but before that, he was a director with Mosaic, which was a faith-based community of over 3,000 people where he focused on social justice. He started his career with seven and a half years as a critical care nurse, people fighting for their lives from all over the globe, including places like Haiti, India, and Pakistan. And he's, uh, his uh, schooling was from the Gateway Seminary. So I can't wait to dive into some of these things today. Adrian, thank you so much for joining me. Kurt, thanks for having me, man. Well, I definitely want to dive into some of the, the your background. But before we do, let's start with who you are, what you're doing today. I've got a sure. couple of key fun things from my crack, as I said, uh, a research team. But tell me mm -hmm. a little bit about what you're doing with Take New Ground. It sounds like a really fascinating way uh, to, to coach and train. Uh, it's a great group, you know, so I co-founded Take New Ground with my business partner, Dan Takini, and Dan's a, he's one of a kind individual. Like He's been in this leadership coaching, like transformate, quote unquote, transformational leadership space for, oh, 30 years. Um, he's been at it. And like when he started his first company, it was literally called The Coaching Company. So like it was, you know, he was early in the this, you know, professional coaching world. And so he's he's the best. He's like Mozart. So I, as soon as I met Dan, I immediately connected with him. Immediately hired him to do the work in prison. Actually, he's who helped generate that work. Um, there's a long story there that I won't go into now. So, but he and I are co-founders. Then we have a, a big growing group of people that are on board. Uh, we've found that it's it's it is. It's, I guess a lot of people have this complaint that it's like hard to go find good talent. Uh, I. And I don't usually buy that when people tell me that it's for us, though, the filter is really fine on because there's lots of people that are coaches, quote unquote. But as you alluded to, we're the no bullshit folks and without. So and we 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 are very committed to to riding this line between, you know, being an advocate for people and being for people and championing them and believing in them and also uh, not pulling any punches. You know, like we're going to talk about it as we see it and it's going to be it will occur to you as probably rude um, and crass, maybe or, at, you know, and provocative because it's also that. So we're unapologetic about that because most adults don't change unless they must. And so, you know, you usually have to get in somebody's face pretty good. You know, if you, if you listen to some team meetings, if I'm talking about somebody you'll hear me say, I got to take a two by four to this guy. You know, we say stuff like that. Why is that? Because everybody we work with, very smart, very ambitious, are used to being the smartest person in the room, have tons of swagger that is is either on the verge of or, or directly in the realm of arrogance. And they hire us because we tell them the truth. Now, we don't know the truth, but we're going to point it out. You know, I warn them all that it's what's running your organization is the conversations that's under the table, not the ones that are on the table that are very convenient. Um, it's the conversations under the table, the ones that even you, Rockstar, uh, aren't getting close to. So, I, you know, I, I warn them all. I say the game we're playing is how much truth can you tell and how much courage can you muster? And those are two realms of conversation, if you will, that most people aren't challenging them on because they're the authority and they're the, you know, they're the entrepreneur, they're the gutsy one. So, you know, most of them, uh, they get away with a bunch. I'll just say it that way. You know, when I'm in an initial conversation with them, before I sign up, 
before I sign them up to be a client, like we have a call, right? An hour long call where we're just exploring. And it's usually around 12 minutes in, I've found 12, 15 minutes in, I'm going to challenge them on something. And they don't know that yet. And we just met. And so we've done all the cordialities and they start saying something. And I notice some, at least the my bullshit meter goes off or just some inauthentic something and or some I don't know, old tape, if you will, something they say that I know they don't really mean. And I'll say, all right, we've known each other, you know, 12 minutes now. Can I take a risk with you? Can I point something out? And of course, they always say yes. And then I'll say something quite absurd that a stranger would never say to somebody. And that's a test just to see, hey, are you in this? Are you looking for somebody else to pad your ego? Are you looking for someone that's going to fight for you? Because if I believe in you at the level I believe in you, I actually can't believe you. That's the distinction. Like I'm going to have to challenge even your view of yourself, either your glorious view of yourself or all your shame bullshit conversation. You have to challenge both of those. So that's how we roll. I was just on the conversation right before we started today with um, a guy that wouldn't, that wouldn't uh, be offended me saying his name, a guy named Josh Geigel. He he was early, built the engine at SpaceX, and then he went out and started Virgin Hyperloop. Um, so created the first Hyperloop ever in human history, and he rode in it, uh, a Branson company. And, uh, and then he got out of that, and he started starting a new AI-driven defense company. World-class, world-class physicist, obviously, brilliant. And uh, we're planning his two-day offsite. He's very committed to the culture of this team. And he's got nine people now and they're you know early funded and that kind of thing so we i love you know so we just got off talking about okay we've got this offsite coming up at the end of february you know what let's talk about outcomes what do you want to get done and and for this one it's all around culture it's all around the conversation that people are you know naturally like the ethos that they are um and what he's committed to as an organization and if you do that honestly you never know what's going to happen in a room like if if as a leader if you take a big mighty stand like this is the future i'm committed to and this is what's required if you're going to play ball on my team if you take that kind of stand then people might you know the team might go from nine to seven might go i mean who knows i'm not saying that's going to happen but you know it will naturally generate conflict and that's good because culture is Dan just said this on the call, like culture is where we go under conflict. So a lot of our work is around generating trust, generating alignment, um, you know, generating camaraderie on a team and working through issues to get the interpersonal issues out of the way so we can actually get the job done. That's a really long answer, but those are the themes about what we're about. I love it. I love the last part of it, making sure you've got some good discord to get to a better answer, but you've got trust right among the team. But the other things back to the beginning part that I really wanted to jump on was you sound like you want to tell people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And sometimes right that's challenging them on their greatness. And sometimes it's challenging them on their, whatever their inferiority complexes are. Right. The on. other thing I heard was uh, you, you tell them, pretty much early on in your, in your relationship. So they know they're getting the no bullshit coach early on and yeah. they've got to be strong enough to be able to, to uh, handle that. And that's just part of your deal. You want to be direct. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a differentiator for us for sure. Cause most, I mean, lots of coaches put that in quote, 
coaches out there, I mean, they're great people and they're really just encouragers and, Hey, let me teach you these five things about how to do the blah, blah, blah. Or let me take you through this assessment so you can have new labels, which is fine. Obviously I'm being a little condescending because I don't, you know, if you looked on our website, it would say most coaching is bullshit. Most, you know, assessments are bullshit. Most training's bullshit. So anyway, um, if you picked up my condescension, you're paying attention, but that's what folks like and that's what they want but it's not to your point what they need i like to say you can't uh, sling a dead cat without hitting a coach these days so you uh, <laughs> know that. that's funny that's hey, funny yeah look, when i when i come can... on a podcast most of them most people say we have a lot of coaches that want to be on our podcast and we don't let any of them on but you're weird enough we'll let you do it so i like it I'm it's part of, part of the deal now, one thing I want to touch on that's related to what you just talked about is something I saw on your Instagram, which was yeah. a, a post that said something along the lines of successful people are dysfunctional. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that, what that means. Yeah. Well, you know, if you're going to be successful, you, you pretty much it's guaranteed you're going to have to be imbalanced to be successful, at least imbalanced at times. Um, and you've got a different set of priorities than most people, because most people are just out to kind of have a predictable standard experience with acceptable outcomes, you know? So I've got the, the job that makes it just enough money and I've got enough time off and I've got enough work-life balance, quote unquote. And that's what most people want is this kind of fineness, but if you're going to be really successful, you know, you just, you have to throw all those cultural rules out the window. And when I say dysfunctional, I really mean dysfunctional in the eyes of most people of the herd, like the herd says, okay, this is what's good. And we'll, we'll even moralize it. We'll say it's healthy. It's healthy to do these types of things, but really successful people have just decided they're going to play by their own rules. For the most part, not everybody's like that, but for the most part, they're going to play by their own rules. They're going to be seen as dysfunctional. And at least for me, I'm dysfunctional. Like there's parts of my life, especially in different seasons of my life that, that aren't working. And it's a part of caring about the big picture and caring about my own legacy. It's not always going to be, I'm not always going to be eating the way I want to be eating and sleeping the way I'm going to be sleeping and, and having the types of relationships I want to have. Sometimes you just go through seasons where, Hey, you know, this is the focus and it's whatever it takes to get there. And I'm done doing the perfectionistic BS um, where it's like, everything's got to be just right. And, and, you know, and you live kind of to live a, you know, Instagram reel, no, or highlight reel. No, no, no. I'm just committed to this thing. So it's not going to be perfect. I'm done with that. You know, it's not going to look good all the time. And if you got, you know, behind the scenes, you'd see it's sloppy and that's, it just, that's usually what's necessary but highly successful people have a really keen sense on the outcome. And so the means is going to be sloppier um, and just doesn't work for a lot of people either. You know, you, you will naturally offend those. If you're committed to excellence, you are going to offend the folks that are committed, that are committed to mediocrity and they'll call it dysfunction. Meanwhile, you're, you know, hitting your goals and making all the money you want to make and living the, the life you want to live. I can promise you, you're inspiring some people. I want to tell the, the world out there that if you're normal, well, let's say this again. Uh, I want to inspire the people out there. If people tell you that you're dysfunctional, you're a whack job, you're a little bit out there, that's probably yes. pretty normal for most uh, uh, oh, yeah. successful people. So live it, embrace it, and know that you're not alone. 
Yeah, I just saw Tom Bilyeu. I don't know if you know Tom. Um, I don't know him personally, but he started Quest Nutrition, sold it for a billion dollars. Anyway, he just said something. He did a whole reel on it, which is just like, what did he say? He said, it's okay to be obsessed. Most people are not obsessed with something. They want kind of the middle of the road. They want, um, they they have an aversion towards being seen as a, as a crazy person. I just want to own it more and more. I'm 43 now. And I just want to be, you know, myself, whatever that is. And that's a moving target from day to day. But I just want to be more myself. And there's certain things I'm obsessed with. There's certain things I'm not obsessed with that other people are. So, you know, I, I just, you know, if you give people permission to be themselves, that's a fun game. That's a really fun game. You're so much a better person if you're your authentic self and showing up that right way on. and not trying to be who you're not. And uh, I love that's a big part of this podcast is letting right people on. know that it's okay to be themselves and don't be ashamed of it. That's yeah. beautiful. Love yeah. It. Yeah. Unapologetic has been a, 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 I guess a word in my mind or the theme in my mind over the last year, probably, but that, I don't know, for me, I mean, talking a little bit about my history, you know, I was a pastor for several years and, and, you know, it's a pup, that's a very, it's a high platform and there's obviously moral, uh aspects to it as well there's like you know you're you're kind of iconic in whatever community you're in and people look up to you and things have got to look and feel a certain way which i you know didn't like uh but it's kind of part of the job um and there's but so anyways i've got the t-shirt is what i'm saying is where you kind of people please especially at a mass level you kind of become what you think is wanted or needed or you become what's what the community needs and you end up shutting off parts of yourself and you can't run from that despair that's there like that'll hang out with you when you know you're not being yourself um you, you'll be haunted by that until you find a way to really reconcile that or for me find an environment in which i can really be quote unquote fully myself and you know luckily i am not luckily uh good for me i I'm in that I'm in that environment. I get to be as intense as I want to be and be as loving as I want to be and be as like, you know, I've always loved the deep end. And I'm way too quote unquote serious for a lot of people, which is totally cool. We're just not that close of friends. You don't like talking about the real shit? No big deal. You can go back to talking about the Dodgers. That's cool. And I'll listen and whatever. I don't really have any opinions about the Dodgers, nor do I pay close attention, but I can, you know, I can hang. That's fine. But we're not gonna be close. I'm only gonna run with people that want to get to the core issues in life. And for a lot of people, that's too much. And, and I, I, the older I get, the more I I'm okay. You know, I think it actually came, I remember Seth Godin used to say this thing where like, if people don't like your product, then it's just not for them. No big deal. Yep. And you're the product. I, I, uh, I'm imagining going to a party and I, I know people that love to go to a party and meet a hundred people and they'll, you know, dance and they'll just talk to hundred people really tertiary and, you know, surface level conversations. I like to find one person Mm -hmm. sit on the couch in, you know, on the side and just have a, a deep conversation most of the evening. And that just fuels me or maybe playing yeah. a pickleball or basketball all night. That's the other thing I can do. Right on, right on. That's the way you are. You find yourself at a party and you're like, I've, you know, might talk to one person for an hour and a half. Exactly. That's great. I love that too. Hey, speaking of pickleball or, or uh, basketball, I, I saw on Instagram that you played dodgeball. You got to tell me more about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Dodgeball. We've, I've played, a, I mean, I grew up, small town america and illinois we played a lot of sports my 
I was the youngest of two boys. My brother's three years older than me, and he was a hoss. We would have called him in Southern Illinois. Big dude, set every record. So I was always the scrappy youngster. My dad coached every team. You know, he just actually just this week I got a phone call from my dad. He just got he just got uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame at my high school just because of the the legacy that he's left as a coach. Nice. Um, Please so don't tell me it was dodgeball coach. Not a dodgeball coach, but I love playing dodgeball. Love playing. Do I love playing every sport. I played football in college, but played, you know, baseball and coach my son's baseball team now and coach his football team. And anyway, love, love sports. Dodgeball is a blast, especially because uh, you could tell really easily who comes from an athletic background, who doesn't. And if you come from an athletic background, as I do, and I've thrown a lot of balls in my day, I can throw the ball really hard. It's a lot of fun. You can pick some people off, and uh, anyway, it, you know, it wouldn't look good to some people, but man, it's a lot of fun. It's funny you say that because there's some people who grew up playing baseball or football that can throw the ball. I mean, yep. let's just be honest. And dads, yep. teach your freaking boys how to throw the ball. Everybody needs that's right, even and girls too need to know how to yep. throw the ball. But I would have because I, I uh, have three boys myself, and we played a lot. Yep. I played a lot of dodgeball, and I would tell some boys, "You're a dodger." Yeah. Sit in the back and dodge and then hand yeah. the ball to the throwers, right? Let That's right. This just get good at catching because if you catch, it's good. You bring your teammate back in. Yes, I know. Exactly. Know your role. I know. Yes. It was always that way. Like, you know, when they blow the whistle, you got to run out and get the balls. And it's like, I should, I, 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 you know, I can tend, I mean, whatever, I'm a team player. So I want people to have a good experience as well. But it's like, if I don't have a ball in my hand, we're losing. Like I need to have a ball in my hand and need to be a sniper from the back row and, and fight the temptation to hit people in the face. I have to fight that temptation. This is so much fun. But I was especially QB in people, high school. Some yeah, people are begged to be hit in the face. Yeah, especially that one guy with the headband. You want to hit that guy early because <laughs> he's you know really good among the. Oh, I'm going to edit myself anyway. So there's certain people that you like. You like hitting, and That's you just awesome. pick them out early. So anyway, I love playing dodgeball. I've played rec league dodgeball here a lot. Rec league kickball too. I'm a sucker for any kind of competition. Let's go. I'm the same way. I love it. Hey, in your latest podcast, it was titled something that really got me thinking. And I listened to the show, but I want to hear your perspective. It's titled Hug the Cactus. Yeah. And this is again on the Naked Leadership Podcast. Tell me what Hug the Cactus means. Yeah. Well, it's a metaphor that comes from who were called the Desert Fathers, like early Christian leaders like Thomas Aquinas, for example, um, hug the cactus for us. All right, let's see. Let me do a couple things first. If we're going to talk about generating the future you want, you better get really clear on what you're contributing to and what you've, uh, and get some high level of ownership of what current reality is. So any, I have a couple assertions. Um, I have lots of assertions, but for this, in this regard, I tell people, I invite them to believe this because I believe this, and I think it generates the most amount of power for us, is that whatever's happening in our life right now, we either created it or we allowed it. Like there's no wiggle room. It's not like stuff happens. Yes, of course, there's weird things that happen to us and blah, blah, blah. But you, if you want to generate the biggest future possible for you, you better settle in to deep, a deep sense of personal responsibility. That's actually, actually what generates the most amount of power, power, like internal power. I don't mean like authority might, it does that as well, but I mean, vitality. And I mean, uh, creativity. If you want to do all that, you better get a clean sense of your personal responsibility. So if it's true 
that I've either created or allowed whatever I have right now, then I, if I take a look at the things that are here that I'm complaining that are here, then I have to look at how I've contributed to those things. And that's going to be looking at the unfamiliar, not unfamiliar, unfriendly, I'm thinking, sides of ourselves. Like, what's our, what's our dark side? Like, what about Adrian? Are like, what's the criminal intent? You know, since we worked with guys in prison all the time, we'll always say, you know, in, in, in training rooms, you know, we're all criminals and some of us are just more arrestable than others. So what we mean by that, Young was obviously huge on this, is that we've got a shadow self. We've got sides to ourselves that we're not proud of, that we sometimes can't shake um, and aren't, you know, don't want anybody else to know about and might live in a shame conversation about. Those are just our dark side. So when we say hug the cactus, we mean to be willing to get real about the sides of ourselves that aren't a great contribution, that actually might be the opposite of that. And what is that? And can you hug it? Like, can you befriend your own criminality? Like parts of you that wants to, when you're in front of a team, every CEO knows this, when you're, there are conversations that need to happen in the room and you're just too chicken to have it. Or there's a conflict that needs to happen and you're really busy being the nice guy about it. It's like, oh, you know what? He's going through a hard time. She's going through a hard time. Let me just avoid that. Or it can get worse than that, right? Where people are actually doing some really heinous things. Um, and can you, instead of justifying the dark side, can you hug it? Can you befriend it? Because most things are, I mean, we're not, we tell people all the time, you're not going to change, but you can transform, which is to reamalgamate. Like I can use those bad quote unquote bad things and use them for my advantage because i i have lied plenty in my life um so i so when someone else is lying uh i can see it early and actually i have compassion for them as well because when i was lying about them thinking about different seasons of my life when i was kind of fraudulent in my behavior and um I can actually, I, I'm not easily offended. So I can see they're lying and I'd be like, hey man, let's talk about this. Like no, no judgment about it, but I notice a difference between what you're saying and what you're doing. I know you know the difference between it. Let's, can we talk about it? And most people are gonna be really busy trying to look good, which is one of those survival needs, look good, feel good, be right, be in control. Most of us, because of the ego, whatever, you know, uh, however people talk about that, they don't want to illuminate the dark side for fear that their dark side is who they are. We're always a mix of both, right? We're, we're both sinner and saint or whatever metaphor you want to use. Um, and the more the, the real dangerous people, like the folks that are, uh, are unstoppable and can get anything done are the folks that accept both sides of themselves. So hugging the cactus is like, is, essentially befriending the side of you that you'd rather it not be there. It's a great discipline and because mo most people don't accept it and they live in shame about it. It just steals their energy and it makes them a performer and like makes them live a persona that's very fragile. And you, you know, so when someone brings them feedback, they can't hear it. They won't hear it. They'll justify it and they lose credibility with their team. But if they can own their shit quickly with their teams, like, Hey, I feel like, you know, what would be a judgment? I feel like, um, you know, there's conflict on the team that you're not talking about. And if, if someone can say, you're exactly right, I've just been a, I've just been a coward. I need some help in this area. Well, you know, what do you think we should do? You win credit, you win. Everybody gets close to a leader that's that honest. 
But if they blame it on circumstances, like most people, they blame it on the other person, like most people, then they lose credibility. So it's a, it's a strategy for, you know, connection, trust, um, and vitality. Wow. Adrian, that's deep stuff. Getting comfortable with your dark side, really understanding that your dark side exists and that your dark side's not a bad side. It's just the side that you really don't want to admit. But the other the way yeah. I've heard this is that some people or mo all of us, the things that we get frustrated about in other people are things that we get frustrated in about ourselves. So we're like looking right into on. a mirror. So it's really deep thinking there. I appreciate that. It's a, yeah, you got it, man. Yeah. It's a projection. It's a projection. Yeah. Whatever's pissing me off about them. It's probably that version of myself that I haven't put my arms around and accepted. Uh, but if I accept it over here first, and then when it shows up over there, I can actually access it faster. That's the beauty is if you accept it over here, I can actually get close to that person and maybe turn them, you know, to the good. Yeah. I know that if you know, most people don't talk about it or they just judge it silently and they start to slowly plan to fire that person instead of like having that conversation early when it's a two out of 10 conflict. Instead, they wait until it's a nine out of 10 which, you know, serves them because then they don't have to actually make it take a courageous action. Now they like have to fire them instead of like, you know what, you knew about it so long ago, man. Let's talk about how much time, energy, resources you wasted on your cowardice. And I got to admit that many times I've not had that conversation and it's gotten, yep. I've stewed and, and let it, you know, eat me up and ultimately make the decision to fire them. Right on. But the times, and there have been times where I've had that conversation early and our relationship maybe even started with a conflict seem to be some right. of the best and longest uh, standing relationships. Right on. Tell me that I'm an asshole early on in a relationship. Oh. And I'm going I'm to trust and respect you. Yes. Oh, man, I love it. I love it when people are like that. Um, uh, when, when people are straight up, you know, I don't. Let me say something that'd be like, I, anyway, uh, as I'm just thinking this, I'm thinking this would be weird to say out loud, but I know I'm talented. I know I'm talented. I'm not talented on accident. I've, you know, I part of it was probably God given or, or, I, you know, was, I, it was indoctrinated in me because I have two great parents that are both school teachers, salt of the earth type folks. And, you know, I know I'm talented, but I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm nowhere near where I want to be when I'm 53 versus when I'm 43. So the people that I want to roll with are those that are going to like, not be impressed by me. They're actually going to push me to think, clearer to be more bold to really be myself and you know i've got just like anybody i've got some reluctance to that you know like that there's you know to stick your neck out and really be fully expressed that's a that's a pretty vulnerable choice um and uh, i want to be around people that you know look me in the eye and say hey man that's good for most people but not for you you got to step it up i love people like that well, hey, I want to sh uh, shift gears and talk about uh, two things. One, I want to ask you how the hell you went from seminary to critical care nurse to now badass executive coach. And then separately, I want to ask you uh, what your unlocking move might be. And maybe there's some relation there, too. So tell me your story a bit. Yeah, I'll be brief on it. You can double click on whatever you want. So I actually started as a nurse. I was in college, was a pre-med guy in college. Didn't know really wanted to, I mean, asking a teenager what they want to be when they grow up, I think is an odd question. Because um, it mostly means like, what do you want to do when you grow up? And maybe some people have had enough experience where they have gone out and seen it and, you know, uh, have enough objective data where they can really answer that. But I went on to college and I just was going to go play ball. And I, I knew I was good at science because um, I'd love that. And I'd taken every science class I could take. And I remember a lot of stuff. And 
I'm fascinated by, you know, functions in the human body and that kind of thing. So I was like a pre-med guy. I realized early, I don't want to be a doctor. I didn't want to like go all, do all the school and all that. But also, you know, in, in the medical profession, you're really at a distance, right? You're studying data and making decisions and following protocol. For me, that's not very creative. Um, and I'm not that much of a data guy. I'm not that much of a kind of big picture. I actually like hand to hand. I like close. I like starting with humans first. So serendipitously, I guess my, my roommate in college freshman year, his dad ran, his dad was a nurse and his dad ran the ER in Gary, Indiana. So tough environment. Um, a lot of crazy shit going down. I thought that's pretty adventurous. So like, you know, I could go get a nursing major, not knowing, I'd never known a nurse. Most nurses that you meet, their mom or their grandma or their aunt was a nurse or something. I didn't have any of that kind of experience, but I knew, uh, I knew I could, I knew I liked it and I knew, uh, I could do it. And at that point, job security. So my parents were really happy, but anyway, got out with a nursing degree, uh, and moved to Chicago, uh, cause I was dating a girl in Chicago and worked at of all the places I interviewed and got all these offers. I worked in the children's hospital in Chicago. And uh, very interesting, like fascinating environment, because when a kid's sick, it's unique because you're like you're helping serve the kid essentially by distracting them, um, helping them to kind of get out of the horror of what's going on because they don't understand. They don't have really con uh, you know, a concept of that. But you're also educating a mom and a dad, which is usually very dramatic and challenging for them. And um, anyway, worked there, loved it, was a utility player, worked all over the hospital. And uh, love that. So I got really good at coming onto a floor of people I didn't know, coming into a, you know, I didn't know, I wasn't an expert at any of these disease processes, but each floor had a different uh, set of diagnoses. Like there's a neuro floor and a cardiac floor and a surgical floor and it like it was broken up like that. Um, so I had to get really good at like having about 75% of the information, but needing to show up like I knew 100%. So um, I had to fake it till I make it or whatever. And um, needed needed to become really good at reading people because I'd show up. I needed a lot because now literally the kids' lives were in my hands and I just needed to know where stuff was, who I called, who I could lean on. And so I had to get really good at seeing who are the really smart people and who are the really helpful people. And hopefully those are the same people, And but most of the time they're not. So learning how to maneuver my way through uh, different like foreign power structures and listening really well and, you know, cueing on who's got the authority in this environment, um, you know, be, had to become really good at that. And I loved it. Uh, out of that, I would, you know, have faith background, obviously, uh, and uh, caught wind of a guy named Erwin McManus. I was actually with a team in India doing philanthropic work. And somebody gave me a talk, like a TED talk these days, or like a, is a sermon of this guy that was talking about the kind of the narrative, if you will, of Christianity in a, in a way that I'd never heard before. I think, I think most religious people are pretty boring. Um, I think most people don't believe what they're actually saying and don't actually walk it out in a way that matters to them or to other people. This guy though, he had a, he, you know, he played a different song and I thought, oh my gosh, okay. Because I was always looking for mentors. I, for whatever reason for myself, I thought, I don't know what I want to do, but I do know who I want to be. So if I, when I find people that, that I, I'm attracted to who they are and how they are in the world, I want to go be near them. So it's kind of an old school apprentice model type thing. I wasn't like building a career. I was building a network of, of human beings that I, you know, was aspirational. So 
Long story short, heard this sermon, moved out to Los Angeles because that guy, Erwin, had written lots of books. And I came back from that trip, read all of his books, and he started this community out here called Mosaic. Mosaic was ragtag. We were when I came here, we were about two thousand people. We were meeting in nightclubs and high school gyms and very flat organization, very pop-up, you know, type organization. It wasn't based on a building, it was based on a people, uh, which I thought was great. And I came out and I was an intern and I did whatever it took, right? So I worked a lot with college kids and um and uh ended up do, like I there's a theme of of uh, service and in my background where I just liked, I liked take, I liked advocating for people and helping people thrive and, and, and definitely liked inviting other people into those experiences because I know when people get outside themselves, their, their life changes, right? It's like, Oh my gosh, you know, once you sacrifice, I mean, this is probably a principle in life, but if you, if you went sacrificing for someone else, is the best move just because you get to recalculate who you are and you get to see the difference you're making in their life. And, and all of a sudden you become new even to yourself, which is beautiful. So I, I was, I, be, uh, they actually they asked after the internship and this 21 month program called the protege program, where I went and got a master's in theology and all that, that you mentioned, uh, they said, Hey, would you stay? Cause I was going to go move to Africa and help this guy. Um, plant churches and do a bunch of fun stuff, which I just thought was the fun next adventure. But they said, would you stay and would you help build this network? So I spent, I spent another several years building this thing called Serve LA, which was a, a conduit between the, by that point, 3000 people that were very, you know, faithful people, but more, uh, uh, even more so it wasn't about what we believed. It's about who we were for other people. So it was around service and around, you know, helping people connect to God, quote unquote, in their own way. We didn't have like a big agenda, um, but inviting people into service. And I would tell people back then, hey, if you give me an hour of your week, I promise you it'll be your favorite hour of the week because I'm going to give you an experience, set up an experience as long as you show up uh, both physically and emotionally to it. Uh, your life's going to be changed. If you're, you know, t tutoring a homeless kid or, you know, helping a battered mom or, you know, all these lists of opportunities, it's going to change your life if you come and get involved in it. So I love that. So we, you know, I connected us and this kind of started to solidify part of my probably unique gift to the world is, is build, I'm a connector naturally. So just building this relationship network where with, you know, there's 30,000 nonprofits in LA, but we've selected a few that were making a big difference and we could come in and I could send, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. I mean, 2000 people a year would go serve. Um, and so building those networks and building leadership teams and, and uh, that's what got me into a more formal view of like training leaders. So I'd have to always have to train volunteer leaders, a lot harder than, than training paid people. You actually have to do it. Otherwise they're going to go away. So um, love that work. Out of that, uh, hey, I met hey, a guy me, named Jeff. Let me pause oh, you for yeah, a second and, and just sure. uh, comment on what you, one of the things you just said was service to others is so impactful for them, but also for you. Oh yeah. And you said, I promise you are going to, you're going to get more out of this than you put in. And right that on. is so true. And yeah. I've, I've re definitely learned that over my life is the more I serve others, the more I, my, I thrive. Right on. Yeah. Even most people, if we connected to the business world, if you're just there to like get a paycheck or just there to make sure you look good, you're going to feel empty because nothing, no even accolades or amount of money is ever going to be enough to satisfy kind of the core human conversations, which are always about meaning and legacy and relationships. 
that's what matters most. We know that from all the research now and the people that are in their deathbed and hospice care. It's like people, what people regret is what didn't happen in the relationships. So conversely with that, if if you can, as a business leader, generate a whole conversation and culture about me contributing to somebody else's success, uh, they people stay longer and people have more meaning in it. And there's much more you know, collaboration, not because you tell them they have to, because they want to. They want to give other people opportunities to succeed. And there's a whole you know, culture of celebration that happens naturally if we're here to catch people doing good instead of just doing the typical management stuff, which is like, if they're doing good, fine, we pay them for that. If they're doing bad, that's what I talk to them about. No, no, no. You need to celebrate, celebrate what's working and point it out. And you, people don't, they, they, you don't end up generating a culture like of all these territories and looking for like, as if, as if praise is like this, this fixed pie. And if, 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 if they win or if they look like they won, then I don't get the credit. If you get a culture of credit, you got trouble. So beautiful. I, I love it. Probably yeah. leads a lot to a lot of your culture work as well. Oh hey, yeah. I want to ask sure. you, t- tell me about what uh, your unlocking move might be. So something that really a decision point or a key decision uh, that changed the trajectory of your career. Yeah. Well, there's lots of them. I'm thinking about, you know, when I, let's see, between when I worked at the church, which is a really fun gig. I mean, it was very meaningful and I got opportunities to go, you know, do stuff that I was a 25, you know, uh, till 30 at the time. Um, a big unlocking move is I took a I took a gig right before I was it was right between me working at the church and me going out and doing this uh, this foundation which with all the guys in prison I actually uh, took a gig uh, to go be a nurse for two months with the brother-in-law of the king of Qatar so I'm in the Middle East taking care of this member of Qatari royalty and. For the first time in my life, I was really alone. And I'd been around people forever, and I liked being around people. I'd always had a full schedule, and I got to really see myself. And I realized there's parts of myself that I was full of it. You know, like I wasn't who I thought I was when the, when the lights weren't on me. Realized how much of a performer I had been. And I had to really come to grips with that. And I was literally in the desert, but, but metaphorically in the desert as well. It's like, who am I? Who am I really? Who am I now? I'm, I'm maybe I'm nobody, you know, like that kind of long night of the soul, which lasted for two months and quite frightening. Uh, that was, uh, I mean, I, 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 I didn't step into that with foresight. Like, Hey, I'm going to go learn. I'm going to go befriend, see and befriend my despair, which is actually what happened on that trip. But I didn't, so I didn't plan it. Uh, but in it, you know, I came back really texturized and didn't and stepped into that next season of my life um, with a lot more heart and a lot more vigor than I ever had before. I think I've been so I, I naturally had been performing in some ways and some of that's good, but some of it's also was really empty for me. So I stepped into a season of really self. I was going to say self-care. I never use that term, uh, but tr- really wanting to be more self-aware than I ever had been because I know this is was true for me then with a lot of leaders you end up um taking care of other people doing a thing and not really paying attention to the to the uh your own internal culture like how you're really doing and that really broke me down which was a big gift to me and I'm still I mean that's part of the discipline that's why I journal every morning now um 
just because I need to know how I'm doing. And I'm a guy that if I don't watch it, I don't ask myself how I'm doing for like a year. I don't even think about it because I'm just doing this thing. And here's what I'm, you know, I'm very ambitious, but you know, that'll end up, you'll end up creating plenty of habits that aren't healthy and feeling really alone. That's part of the whole, I think, imposter syndrome thing for people is, um, or like it's lonely at the top, that mantra that everybody's, you know, uh, tied into these days well it's lonely because we haven't let anybody up to the top with us and there's you know there's like a secret there are plenty of payoffs to being alone at the top because uh, you know you there's parts of yourself you don't want other people to see so that really broke me open in brand new in new ways and you know it's obviously been a bumpy road since then you know ups and downs and all that but i now i have the discipline of journaling every morning just because i need to i know that i need to kind of re-get to know myself every day it's like you know there's five or six adrians in here and i don't know which one i'm going to wake up with and i better like listen to how i'm really doing otherwise i'll live an empty existence well, i like the journaling technique that's a great ad for most of our listeners to, to yep even just a simple five minute journal but what i yep. heard about what you just said is is powerful and i want to touch on it one you were alone and you were left alone with your thoughts and you could have filled that you could have taken out any kind of entertainment or, or whatever you, you could have done to fill that void, but you used it for introspection, which is huge. And yep. you took the the leap or the the, path, the harder path, which was make a change from that and, and learn about yourself. And uh, I think the deep work is what's led you to where you are now and was your unlocking oh, yeah. move versus just checking Dodger scores back in the state. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's why now, you know, I, you know, when I'm in these conversations with very influential and powerful people, I want to, I want to be in a conversation with them that they wish they were in with themselves, you know? And so, and I can go there with them because there's no conversation. There's no conversation too dangerous or too weird or too crazy or too or quote unquote wrong or too anything, whatever they've got going on. I, I'll put my arms around it and we'll at least start there. There's some things we don't want to stay with, but at least no, no matter what, and they've got that feeling with me. They can say anything to me and it's cool. It's okay. Like, I'm not going to judge you. I tell them that and convince them of that over time. It's like, Hey, I'm the most uh, non-judgmental person in your world. Now I'm also more convict, more committed than anybody in your world to where you say you want to go. So it's this weird paradox. So you could tell me anything, but we're definitely going there no matter what. Right. Yeah. Okay, good. So let's, get a hold of i mean a lot of people want to fantasize about the future talk about the future because it's really fun and out there and and it's you know tons of dopamine in that conversation but are we willing to and able to really have the the skills to put language to current reality that's what most leaders uh, aren't as willing to be good at because it's more you know vulnerable and uh you know it, you have to slow down a little bit to do that and most of them are really scared they're going to get off pace and so to like do, do some reflection stuff, or even, you know, I've got this leadership training called the Revenant Process, which is a four-day personal leadership training that anybody can come to. It's public. Um, and it's four days, a lot of time. Yeah, it is a lot of time. But if you, you could have some conversations in that room that will change everything, not only for you or your spouse, but also your kids and your grandkids, you can make some decisions in that room that changes your entire legacy. Why is that not worth it? So I get to invite them into those real conversations that the, I think, you know, I think our souls are always striving for growth. Uh, our brains are striving for survival. We know that, but our souls want to grow. So I want to connect with that deeper conversation with people, which some don't want to have, and they just want to, you know, collect things and look good and all that. That's fine. We don't usually work together, but I want to, you know, 
make it count, make the conversations count, make our daily decisions count, make our relationships count. And that takes a certain type of rigor and discipline. And takes deep work. And Adrian, that's beautiful. And uh, one thing that I heard that you, you didn't quite say it this way, but it sounds like you take leaders where they don't really want to go, but they're probably glad they went. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. They're always scared to death. You know, they're always scared to death, which is natural because it's unknown territory for them. And if you're, if you're a high end leader, you've probably been exemplary most of your life. And so part of your, part of the game you've been playing, you wouldn't call it a game, but part of what you call life and existence is trying to sustain the expectations you have of yourself or other people have of you. And so you can't fail or you can't, you know, lose, you can't show your scars and talk about your fears and insecurities, although those show up all the time, but you can't like own them. And I just want people to own them. Like, Hey, that's part of the hug the cactus conversation. Let's just be close to it, man. It's okay. You can be both really ambitious and impressive and really frightened and insecure. You are by the way, but you can actually talk about it and it brings people closer to yourselves and rehumanizes you in front of other people. I think that's the style of leadership that's going to work in the future, especially as AI gets taken off and, you know, computers continue to run the world. Like it's, it's, it's leaders that lead from a human way without being so soft, which, you know, culture wants us to all be soft and all that. No, be rigorous with yourself. It's more of a stoic philosophy, I guess. Well, but I'll tell yeah, you, what probably, scares, what probably scares them. And I'll say what scares me and scares us is, we do that deep work and we're not really that pleased with what we see. We don't really right like the person that we see in the mirror. And that's right a scary, scary thing. Yeah. Well, it's scary because we don't have, I would just say in this current time, we don't have a lot of examples. I mean, I'm getting ready to start a whole new show. Um, that's going to be called fire in the desert. This is the first time I've talked to, talked about it besides with my team. And the whole theme of this show is going to be, and it's going to be hosted on YouTube uh is about this is about you know the the ways in which impressive people self-destruct and how do we reconstitute ourselves how do we come back from the brink how do we re, you know recover ourselves recover relationships recover projects whatever you're doing that's going to be the premise of the conversation so hopefully my point being is that we don't have a lot of examples of this Anytime people talk about suffering or talk about mistakes it's usually bumper sticker conversations it's usually kind of you know, um, what am I thinking? The silver lining type combos, but people don't go deep on, hold on. How did I know it was going to be this bad? When did I know that I was, you know, creating mischief in my life or hurting someone else? And I did it anyway. Let's just talk about that. Like explore how people make all these decisions that end up, they paying a lot of price for and people, other people pay the price for it. And so as I think we have, a, we create a, uh, more of a, well, we have to create language for it so that people can know the territory so that they can recover hopefully sooner. So they make less mistakes and make less, you know, tragic mistakes in particular. Um, so there's not a lot of examples is my point that's like, how do you, so yeah, I've got this thing that I'm not proud of inside myself and I don't talk to anybody about it. Maybe some therapist or something, if it gets really bad, but I don't talk to anybody about it. So you just live in this kind of quiet despair. And I would just love for people to, you know, get off of all that shame conversation and get into back to life. Well, we, we all have it. That's for sure. 
Hey, yep. we're running low on time. I got one key question I want to ask you, and that is, tell me one question that no one ever asks you and either you secretly wish they would, or you're kind of glad they don't. <laughs> oh, what's a question that nobody ever asked me and I wish they would, but I'm kind of glad they don't. Interesting. Well, that's fun. Uh, nobody ever asked me, you know, what my own insecurities are. Let's talk about them. Yeah. Or it's, or even just, I would just even say like, you know, what's going on now? You know, I, I, uh, in this real season of life, I mean, I just left a marriage in last May and, um, you know, reconstituting myself after that, a lot of, it was my second marriage. So I, I stepped into that relationship with plenty of yellow flags, at least some red flags that I made. Okay. And, um, you know, I'm, I am, as you can imagine, really optimistic, definitely a do whatever it takes, you know, type guy. And I'm in, and I really failed. I failed myself. I failed her. She's a great person. And I failed her because she didn't, you know, I've got kids and she didn't really want to be a mother to my kids. And there was all this conversation around being a stepmom and what that is and what's not being a mom. And I betrayed myself. No, I actually want to be with someone that loves my children like they are her own. And I dropped my bar on that for a handful of reasons. Obviously, there was some physical attraction there and there was uh, she's very successful and there was some of that attraction that was there. And maybe you know, I was a little bit unconscious to what was truly authentic for me. And um, anyway, point being here, it's like, okay, now I'm back out in the world and dating again and, uh, you know, taking it slowly with myself because I'm like, man, I can talk myself into anything. And that's, you know, I'm a pretty good salesman and I can, you know, part of what made me good at being a pastor guy or now running a business and bringing in a lot of work for our firm can also sell myself on anything. So I'm in this really interesting kind of, you know, reconstitution kind of gray area of like, okay, who am I now? You know, and how do I not be hard on myself? Cause that doesn't serve anybody, but learn from it and get the wisdom from it and ask myself better questions and draw a lot more boundaries uh, than I ever did before and realize that I'm not for everyone. And every, definitely everybody's not for me or, you know, so I've, and I've been like raising the bar for myself um, in the context of relationships. Um, nice. that's one thing. What's one thing that comes to mind. I love it. Thank you for sharing. I love the reflective nature of, of how you just answered that and how you said, you didn't say this, but God, what are you teaching me? What am I need to learn here? What, how do I make myself a better person out of this and how to make my next relationship better? Because the one yep. common theme is it's you, right? You're there right and, and it's right on. I love how you took ownership of, of some of the, the downfall. Well, thank you for yeah. sharing, Adrian. It's been a blast. Uh, where else can we learn about uh, about Adrian Kohler or uh, uh, taking new ground? Yeah, well, you can go find me on Instagram like everyone else. Adrian.k is my Instagram handle. And uh, if you have any questions, obviously just DM me there and we'll find a time to connect to listeners. Um, Take New Ground is the company. If you want to know about this leadership deep dive, we've got three coming up. Uh, called the Revenant Process. We just okay. surveyed two two thousand people, uh, recent grads, and ninety seven percent of them said it was one of the top three experiences of their life. 
So, and, uh, so I co-trained that with Dan Takini, who's the, you know, I'd say the best in the world at these types of experiences. We got one coming up and, uh, I don't, I forget to ask, I forgot to ask when this is coming out. Anyway, just go to, we are revenant, R E V E N A N T. We are revenant.com. We've got one in Boise, one in LA, one in Honolulu, all coming up this year and probably another one on the back end of that. So go check it out and here to help. Honolulu, let's go. We are revenant.com. Take new ground and Adrian Kohler. Yep. Adrian.k. Yep. All right. Adrian, on that note, we're going to wrap this puppy up. Thank you so much for joining me on Unlocking Moves. I'll ask everybody to go out there and please give us a five-star review. Uh, go like and subscribe uh, to the podcast, both on YouTube, Spotify, uh, Apple, wherever you consume your podcasts. And thank you again, Adrian, for being with us. We will uh, definitely be big fans of Take New Ground. Awesome. Thanks, Kurt. Good to be here. Yeah, you bet. If you're an entrepreneur and you think you might have outgrown a member of your team, or maybe you've got a mic, as we talked about in Who's Your Mic, check out this quiz at whosyourmic.com slash quiz. That's whosyourmic.com slash quiz.